Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. And in tubs are back. Well, not actually, but in our hearts, because you're here, I'm here, for the inaugural episode of Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice. I'm your host, Marina, and if you want to learn a little bit more about me, why I fell in love with Miami Vice, and who am I to talk about Miami Vice. I've included timestamps in the description, so you can see, you can skip it, you can fast forward, learn a little about me, skip it, but let's get straight to business. The IMDb synopsis for the episode is as follows. Miami detective Sonny Crockett reluctantly teams up with New York City cop Rico Tubbs when both of them end up pursuing a drug dealer who killed their respective partners. Now, first notes as we're watching the opening scene. First thing, Miss You by the Rolling Stones is playing. That song was released in 1978. The pilot was shot in 1983. This was not a mistake. I think they're juxtaposing. You'll see it soon. And I'm not really spoiling anything. If you know anything about Miami Vice, you obviously know bright colors, pastel suits, crocodile and tubs. So opening up on this iconic series with gray earth tones. And you know how Michael Mann feels about earth tones. We'll get a little bit more into that in Vice T. Feels very different. So I kind of saw it as a juxtaposition. You get dark 70s, gritty, it's cold. You can see the wet street, which is also another Michael Mann trope. Not really what we're used to. So I want us to know what's going on. Why are the Why is Miss You by the Rolling Stones playing? Why are we in New York City? Then a group of Utes decide to bark up the wrong tree in this next clip. Faded pox. <laughs> Dude, they could be Michael Jackson or something, man. I'm gonna cut you good, sucker. Can it wait? I'm a little busy right now. <laughs> I love that. Speaking of bringing a gun to a knife fight, which is that's a reference to Indiana Jones. Great. Uh, already, I'm in love with this man. And to you, the person watching this episode for the first time, you're probably a little bit enamored too. Well, who is, who is he and what is he doing? Is he doing a stakeout, waiting for a lady? In the words of the Rolling Stones, waiting for a friend? We're about to find out. He goes into a nightclub following somebody, slips the server $100 in 1984. Also, let's get to inflation also in Vice T. That is a lot of money. <laughs> Someone who bartends, that is a lot of money. I don't know. I might find it hard to say no to $100 in 1984 cash. So slips the server. Obviously, we see what's going on. The server goes over to serve this mysterious gentleman that this other mysterious gentleman has been staking out. Spills all over him. So mysterious, let's call him mysterious gentleman with stained pants. That is the worst. I'm sorry. I swear I'm funnier. Well, he gets up to go to the bathroom. The gentleman we saw in the intro goes to follow him. Obviously, a fight breaks out. Shooting breaks out, which again, at a bar and nightclub, the bathrooms are going to be pretty well surveilled. You know what goes on in those. There's lots of people coming and going, lots of drug deals going on. Some clubs I have been to... Tulum. This is the first thing that comes to mind. 
they pretty much leave you alone at certain spots because they know exactly what you're doing in the bathroom. It's very frustrating as someone who does not drink or do drugs to have to wait in that line <laughs> for 20 goddamn minutes when you know that nothing is happening. <laughs> but I digress. And I do have a policy on this podcast and feel free. You can at me if you want. I don't want to include sound clips of gunfights, gunfire, or police sirens, because if you're anything like me, you're usually listening to podcasts while you're driving. Last thing I want to hear when I'm driving are gunshots or police sirens, especially living in Los Angeles. So if people do want that change, I will change it. But for now, I can just let you use your imagination. So getting back to the scene. So after the shootout has occurred in the bathroom where mysterious gentleman number one is going after mysterious gentleman number two, obviously mysterious gentleman number two and his posse, his entourage, if you will, escort him out of the nightclub. This gentleman, this mysterious gentleman, number one, who we will know to be Ricardo Tubbs. I really need to stop referring to him as such. We're about to meet him in like four minutes. Also runs up to join him. This is a great shot. I took a picture of it. You can see this picture and all pictures on the gallery at viceandeasypodcast.com. But this picture specifically, you can see his breath. So I'm assuming October, November, because he's wearing a trench coat. He's not wearing a parka. He's not wearing something a little bit heavier. So I'm assuming it's either early fall or late spring. No snow, very wet ground. And then cut scene. And then we segue in to the extended intro theme song. I also continue mentioning this the next four episodes, so I do apologize. It gets better. By episode five, we get to the proper theme song that we all know and love. But look, you can see all the fun stuff that Miami's known for. Windsurfers, high lie, flamingos. And the reason I mentioned flamingos is because recently I proved someone wrong, politely of course, who did not believe that flamingos could be found in the United States. So that was a fun fact and something I only knew because of Miami Vice. Speaking of Miami, now we're talking, we're opening up we're seeing a beautiful sunny day. You can't see anybody's breath because it's too hot. It's too humid. And we pan up to Don Johnson wearing a beautiful white suit with a blue undershirt. And guess who he's talking to? A very young, very baby-faced baby Jimmy Smits. And I'll talk more about Jimmy Smits during Vice Tea. But this is very exciting. I also have to consciously make an effort to not call him Jimmy his name in the Miami Vice pilot is Eddie. So Sonny and Eddie are talking a little bit about what's going on, stresses they got going on in their life. Eddie is expecting a baby with his wife, Maria, and I'll let him take it from here in this next clip. Anyway, you lost your temper, right? Did the hot-blooded Latin machismo number and stomped out of the house, right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. She is due in five months, Sonny. I don't want her working in some greasy spoon. Maria knows how tough it is to raise a family on the kind of bread cops make. Hell, Eddie, a baby carriage alone will put you back a week's take home. No wife of mine ought to have to work for a living. That's dumb, right? Hey, shortstop. You want to crank down the decibels a notch? You got a dime? I want to give her a call. Now you're talking. I just want to let her know how much I appreciate the efforts. Eddie does not end up calling his wife, Maria. They actually leave. They're heading on a 
change of mission or change of plan mission with a gentleman named Corky. Now, if you know anything about anything illegal, you know this is a bad idea. Basically, in essence, Corky is telling Crockett, sorry, Eddie and Sonny or Eddie and Crockett, that he wants to cut out the middleman and go alone, which I'm sure every drug dealer, every bad guy, every impresario is totally fine with. I'm sure this is not going to end well at all. And (laughs) I'm going to make the jokes now as opposed to later. They pull up under a bridge and my handwriting and my notes just underline, underline, underline WTF, bad idea. Absolutely not. In Los Angeles, Going under a bridge, walking a bridge is already dangerous in and of itself. Doing a business deal, quote unquote, you can't see the air quotes, but business deal underneath the bridge, absolutely not. So they pull up under the bridge to do this deal. I'm already like, absolutely not, absolutely not, absolutely not. And then one thing also to note is that Sonny is using the name of Burnett. This is a name that actually has a very important part in this series. So keep that in mind. He's known in this case as Burnett. And before they do the deal, Corky, the young gentleman was cut at the middleman, tells Burnett, aka Crockett, that he left the scale in the car. So Sonny heads back to the car while Eddie, aka Jimmy Smith, and Corky are waiting on this deal. Unfortunately, as Crockett is bending down to get this scale, He's able to see in the reflection of his mirror that there's a bomb underneath the car. He calls out to Eddie, but unfortunately, it's too late and the car blows up. And after that, the team has arrived. The vice team has arrived on the scene to investigate. Sonny is talking to his lieutenant, Lou Rodriguez. Lou is not really happy with Sonny's work. Sonny was going undercover to get closer to a Colombian drug lord, and this was part of the plan. The middleman that Corky wanted to cut out was this gentleman that Crockett has been after. Now, it's extra personal, but Lou doesn't really have much faith in Crockett, and as you'll see in this next scene. Haven't changed much from your old football days, have you, Sonny? Listen, Lou! No, you listen! I haven't heard word one from you for a whole stinking week! No case reviews, no updates, no progress under, reports, and no backups. Up. The last time I requested a backup, I nearly got shot to death by Bluto and Lee Harvey Oswald over there. And as for progress reports, I'd just as soon buy radio time. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you implying that I've got a bad cop in my department? All I know is, every time I've gotten within 20 blocks of this Colombian, I've had the pavement pulled right out from under me. By the book. By the book, Sonny, from here on. Or I swear, I'm pulling you off the street. Okay, so there's a lot to take from that conversation. First off, the football analogies. That's pretty much only in the pilot. It comes up like a couple times later on in the series. Um, I guess they kind of really wanted to make him like this southern football hero homeboy. But like it doesn't really come up much in the ep- in the series that I can recall. I've recently watched the first three seasons with a little bit of four and five. So I'm not exactly an expert. Maybe it comes up later, but... Don't really worry about that. It does kind of play into this episode. It's fun. Secondly, dirty cop. Is there someone that's leaking information? Every time that Crockett gets close to catching this guy, something happens. Now he has to bury his partner. So now it's serious. Message! I know that is going to be my signifier 
for anything weird or unseemly, dirty, so forth, corrupt <laughs> in this series. We are introduced briefly to Trudy and Gina, who both look beautiful and fabulous. Gina asks if he'd like to go for drinks or something later. He declines. He has to deliver the news to Eddie's widow at work. It's a really sad scene, and she can instantly tell by his look and how his his clothes are like a little bit dirty, obviously, from the residue of the bomb. She knows as soon as he walks in, and she's devastated. Again, I'd not clip any sounds of that. I really don't think anyone needs to hear that out of context, you know, while they're driving. So it's a very sad scene. She's very cute. She's very pretty and very bubbly and very sweet. So this is really sad. Now let's get a little bit sadder. We are going to a birthday party. So we cut to a scene where Sunny's also running late. Looks like hell. Oh, this is so awkward. So it's his son's birthday party. Caroline's already... Sorry, Caroline is his ex-wife. Um, you'll see her a little bit in the first season. She does p- play kind of a prominent figure. Oh, sorry. Pardon me. And she's not exactly impressed that he's late. She doesn't know the story. But he got Billy a little cop car, which I think is very cute. And there's a very cute picture of them snuggling. So I'm going to jump a little bit ahead. But there's a very cute picture of them sleeping. Uh, with the holster, with the gun in the holster, that... <laughs> Again, I don't really think that in 1983 or 1984, they expected us in 40 years down the road to dissect everything. I was like, oh, my Lord, (laughs) I hope the safety's on. It's not loaded. So they talk a little bit more and he sees one of his coworkers whose name is Scotty. And so Sonny's telling his coworker, Scotty, about what happened with Eddie and Caroline overhears. And that's when she decides to kind of like be a little bit more... I don't want to say nice. I just want to say a little bit more empathetic towards Sonny that night. And um, cut to the other scene. Crockett is playing the piano. Who knew? Secret skills. And he's looking at a very sweet picture of him and Billy, who I was trying to think might be his real life son. He does have an older son named Jesse, who I believe is a few years older than me. So I think it kind of would have worked out in the timeline. And we learn a few things from the conversation with Caroline. Basically, Billy's six years old. So I'm going to come back to this. This is going to be an overarching theme and a little fun event where how old is Sonny Crockett really? Because he has lived a very interesting full life and he seems to be my age. So I just want to get down to the bottom of this. Um, but then I have some really good quotes from their conversation in this next clip. I suppose if I'd been in some other line of work... Things would have been different. Doing what? Dealing real estate? Selling Porsches for my brother downtown? I've been taking an informal survey of my unit this week, marriage-wise. Seems out of 16 vice cops, we're barely batting 250. It's not the job. Oh, sure, it's got a lot to do with it. Seeing you shot that time. You're drinking. And I've been doing a lot of thinking about it. Actually, I. You think know, it's I'd funny, but in a lot of ways, you and your vice cop buddies were just the flip side clothes. of the same coin from I mean, these dealers you're always masquerading look, around with. You're all players, Sonny. You get high on the action. 
Caroline. If I didn't mention earlier, this is Crockett's estranged wife. They're not legally divorced. They live separately. Crockett does not live in this house. Ooh, I just wrote Mike drop. You're all players, Sonny. You get high on the action. Ooh, I really like Caroline as a character. So the other basically equivalent that I think of is on the first season, the first season of Hill Street Blues, the lieutenant, Frank. I hope he's a lieutenant. Sorry, he's sergeant, lieutenant, whatever. He's up there. His ex-wife is very shrill, very needy. And to be fair, in the 70s, I guess it premiered in 1979, I don't really think women could even write their own checks. Maybe they had just been allowed to write their own checks. But it's not as if they had a lot of financial freedom. It's not as if they had a lot of possibilities after divorce. So I understand that more looking back on it as something that has progressed throughout history. But I really like Caroline as a character because she knows Sunny very well. I do not remember exactly where they meet. I'm assuming college, but she's a firecracker, that one. Well, it gets even better in this next clip. I'll make up the couch. <laughs> it's even better because you can kind of see his light, his eyes light up when she says that he can stay over <laughs> and then she delivers that line. Love Caroline. Love Caroline. Well, before he goes to sleep on the couch, he wants to say goodnight to Billy and read to him. And then he ends up falling asleep with Billy, which is very sweet. And this is when I mentioned that he has a gun in the holster. Not so sweet. <laughs> that is, again, also in very big marks. Now we cut to another scene where we see a very stylish young man with two belts walking down the street. Crockett jumping into his beautiful, I want to say, uh, do not know, why am I even trying with the make of this car? I am pretty good with cars, but not at specific styles it makes this is a a boyfriend question but beautiful like soft orange color really approved so this guy with this guy in in oh my god english english grammar so the guy who's driving the car that crockett hops into he is also working for the colombian his name is leon sunny keeps pressing that he wants to meet the colombian and leon says that he needs for his offer to be ten thousand dollars for him in his speedboat like He's got he's to step it up. Leon saying, quote, there's always buyers. He's not wrong. Next, we cut to one of the most iconic scenes, the strip club. This is where Tubbs, who we saw in the first few minutes of the series, is going buck wild. And someone wants to know more about him. What do you got for me? Ooh, a couple things from that. The gentleman asking about Tubbs is Scotty, Crockett's friend that he was talking to at the party. Keep that in mind. Number two, I have a little story about Rockwell. I'll save that for the Vice D. Number three, <laughs> again, to be $100 in 1983, this is a man I want to come to my bar. <laughs> This is the second $100 bill he slipped in 1983. The girl's beautiful. I took a couple pictures. I think I also took a GIF. I definitely made sure to get a photo of tubs between the legs that make an A-shape. Oh, French kiss. Tubbs also has an atrocious Jamaican accent. <laughs> and then it cuts. You have to see a picture of this in the gallery. To the hotel room with a briefcase full of cash. What looks to be a 
bandolier. I know a bandolier is the crossbody. I know that from Red Dead Redemption. This just looks like a belt with ammo, but I guess it would also be called a bandolier. It just doesn't go over your shoulders. Uh, this is peak, and he's shirtless, of course. You have to see this picture. I also did know, and I hope I'm correct on this, that the briefcase is full of $20 bills, not $100 bills. So he's not as much of a big spender as I initially thought, but he's a great tipper. I think we can all appreciate that. We also see a flashback. So we see Tubbs holding someone who's been shot. And we see someone rolling up the window, disguising themselves or hiding themselves. So we can kind of see the wheels turning. He's here for revenge. And so him and Scotty going to go make a deal. Then we also see Sonny and Leon also on the way to make this deal. So now it makes more sense. Sonny and Scotty or Scott. Scotty. All right. That's not going to get tongue twister. Sonny and Scotty are both on opposite sides of the deal so that they can bust the other guys. However, once they actually get to the dock, this happens in this next clip. 120,000. You got the party favors? Got three keys in the boat. And unfortunately, right before the actual deal is going to go down, the cops come too early and blow the scene. Sonny's not happy in this next clip. He sent you an invitation. Now, since when do you need an invite to your own party? So those footsteps you hear, that's Tubbs running away, jumping onto Crockett's boat, his stinger, which is a cigarette boat, and driving off into the sunset. Now, this is something I'm going to notice that super fans are also going to notice. The Stinger is white with blue stripes. The car that Crockett uses to chase Tubbs on land while he's on water is also white with blue stripes. Hmm. And actually, I really like this scene. I think it's really well shot. I like that they're both able to kind of like keep track of each other while they're on different, completely different methods of transportation. One's on water, one's on land. Super cool. Well, it's obviously not going to last forever. Crockett, smart as he is, waits on a bridge. And he's in like a beautiful coral suit. I took a couple pictures of this. I want to say he might be, it might be, it's my second favorite episode. Second favorite outfit of the episode. So he's wearing this beautiful coral suit standing on a bridge. Underneath him, Tubbs is slowly trucking along in the stinger. Crockett pops on, fights him. Then they kind of learn who each other are in this next clip. Miami, Vice. Congratulations, pal. New York. So if we're understanding this right... This deal had Crockett, had Scotty, and had Tubbs. Therefore, three cops and only one guy to lead him to the Colombian that he's looking for. Then, Sonny has some choice words when talking with Tubbs and Rodriguez in this next clip. Tubbs is here on priority clearance per direct request of the NYPD. Interagency memo, Crockett. Confidential. I sort of like to keep it that way if you catch my drift. Hey, no offense, but when it comes to security leaks, this town of yours ain't exactly Pentagon South. Interesting perspective. So, uh, tell me now, Dubs. Tubs. My friends call me Raphael. 
you down here for some specific value to the taxpayers, or are you just working on your tan? <laughs> well, hush my mouth. He's so funny. You ever hear of a local dealer named Calderon? About four weeks ago, one of our detectives set himself up in a meet with Calderon and a New York pusher named Tooney. The bus went sour. A man was shot to death. But he took Tooney with him, and Calderon got away. New York figures he's back down here. Yeah, alongside 5,000 other Bush League pushers with five aliases each and passports to match. He's a major league, Crockett. Killed a cop. You know, that dude I showed up with tonight is one of his front men, and I was setting him up for a rollover before you and that cavalry of yours showed up. Guy's in town for three days already. He's an expert. That dude you showed up with tonight works undercover for the DEA, pal. His name's Scott Wheeler. And as for Leon, he's on the payroll of a Colombian I've been two steps behind for months now. Surveillance photo. Taken before the shootout. Our man, Tooney. Dude on the right is Calderon. The Colombian. Who? Suspect in a half dozen drug murders down here. Well, as the old adage goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. All right, so now the story's kind of progressing. Raphael Tubbs. That's what his friends call him. Please keep that in mind. Raphael Tubbs. And then Rodriguez proposes the idea of Crockett and Tubbs working together. We all know how that turns out. But again, this is just the pilot. We don't know what's going to happen. Maybe they're going to hate each other. Who knows? (laughs) Well, the next day... Tubbs comes to visit Crockett on his houseboat. First things I want to mention, I am personally getting nauseous just watching that boat boat rock back and forth. Also, I really do appreciate the shirtless scenes as a straight woman. There's probably a reason why as a 14, 15-year-old girl, I was very much drawn to the show. (laughs) Now it's making sense a little bit more. So basically, Tubbs kind of wants to revisit the idea of working together, kind of seeing, you know, if they can use their powers to take down this guy, and we'll get more into this next clip. I've been thinking about what Rodriguez said last night about us working together on this thing. And, Save and your breath, all... Tubbs. I got enough problems with this investigation already without playing tour guide to some wide-eyed understudy down here on a weekend pass. Wait a second. No, you wait a second. You might have commendations up the yin-yang in the Bronx or New York or wherever the hell it is you're from, but this is Miami, pal, where you can't even tell the players without a program. Down here, you're just another amateur. Doesn't really end well. Keeps escalating, keeps escalating. Tubbs hits a little bit below the belt. Punches fly. Like true 80s men, they're fine in like two seconds. Got a funny picture of Elvis surprising Tubbs. Then kind of provides the comic relief. Quote, I don't even like alligator shoes. (laughs) So now they're kind of cool again. And the reason that Crockett's a little bit sensitive is that Tubbs mentioned that there might be a dirty cop in his midst. And as we can already see, Crockett is very much by the book. Well, so they get talking and they bring up Leon. Leon is the guy that was the only non-cop in that deal. (laughs) So he has a bail hearing. Crockett's a little bit worried that he's going to snitch. Tubbs thinks that he's not going to roll over on Calderon. So we cut to the courthouse. It is a very, very, very humid day. The power is out of the courthouse. They're all fanning themselves. So hot, the power goes out. As the power goes out, you hear guns glocking. And you'll see why in this next clip. One move and your history, Buster. 
little overload problem on account of the heat, Your Honor. Maintenance is working on it. Please go to the gallery. There's a couple great pictures <laughs> of the court reporter and I believe the legal secretary. I'm so sorry if I'm confusing them. Uh, the stenographer and the court reporter, both with their guns drawn, hilarious. And it's just such an American stereotype that, of course, in the South, when this would happen to Cordos, that everybody would just already be packing heat. But it gets even worse for Leon. So the judge mentions to the entire room that he'll work with Leon and his investigative cooperation is going to help him. Thereby, he just announced to everybody that Leon is a snitch. If you know what that means, Leon just now has a target on his back. So Leon starts freaking out, freaking out his lawyer, obviously, asks for help, and he's dragged out of court. Sonny asks Crockett if he knows about this. Message! And the next shot, we're outside the courthouse, and you can see Leon freaking out, scrambling, going to different cars, looking behind him. Kind of a sense that he knows he might be followed. So this is really, really, really bad news. Tub is already watching him and follows in a black Trans Am. Dun, dun, dun. Now we go back to the precinct. We learn a little bit more about Scotty and Crockett that they used to be partners. And then Rodriguez gets a call from Leon. Well, about that, Leon. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, suppose that depends on you. All right. Tell you what, you hold tight there, and I'll call you back in ten minutes and let you know. Pick him up, Crockett. He's ready to roll. And so Crockett is on his way to pick up Leon, and they're going to the beach, because it's Miami. So this version of Girl Just Want to Have Fun that you'll notice, I think is the demo version. It doesn't sound like the final one that we know and love. I know there is a remix of Girl Just Want to Have Fun, and I think the one that we know is the remix, but because it wasn't too different from the demo, it might be known as the remix. But yeah, so the, this is not the radio version that we all know and love maybe it's also was the pilot i know they had a huge budget but maybe they didn't have that big of a budget so when we go back to leon we see that he's very 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 scared i said shook uh i don't know why all this 2000s toronto slang is now following me to a podcast when i live in los angeles because i also said like bait out his scene i was like oh (laughs) nah fam (laughs) gotta get rid of that that's not the canadian accent you would expect right <laughs> However, sorry, I digress. The scene's actually very fun cut. Like you get lots of cuts of the volleyball players, you know, like they're they're trying to reiterate that we're in Miami. We're in a very sexy part of the world. We're in a very hot, humid, sticky, sexy part of the world. I like it. But yeah, this version of Girls Just Wanna Have Fun, like take a listen. It doesn't sound right, right? And like interspliced with these cuts of the beachgoers, we see a very nervous Leon. I'm sure being outed as a snitch in court doesn't really do wonders for your anxiety. So I'm sure his blood pressure is through the roof right now. And we also see shots of someone in a sundress with a handgun and a silencer. Again, I took a picture of that because I actually really like the purse design. It's very cute in the 80s, but I digress. Tubbs and Crockett run into each other. They're both there to keep an eye on Leon. Unfortunately, by the time they get to Leon and tap him on the shoulder, 
he's already been shot. I, I'm trying to be mature, but I didn't want to gif Leon rolling down the stairs into a crowd of volleyball players. I'm sorry. Every time I've had to watch this episode maybe 10 times to like do more research for the podcast and I had kind of all these roadblocks, how to go back to square one. I have not not laughed when I've watched that scene of Leon falling down the stairs. <laughs> so Croc and Tubbs super frustrated because that was their lead. That was their in to Calderon. This was their one connection to the person they're both avenging someone for. So they're very frustrated. And they talk a little bit in this next clip. Hey, man. You know, you and me have been bumping knees and elbows ever since we first met. Next time you reconsider my offer, pal. Hey, man, why don't you get off of yourself? You know, this investigation is dead in the water without me, man. What are you talking about? A bus last night. As far as Calderon's people are concerned, I made off of both the party favors and the cash. I'm going to be here in front of You need me, Crockett. I don't know how this is going to work, Tubbs. I mean, uh, you're not exactly up my alley, style and persona-wise. Heaven knows I'm no box of candy. (laughs) But all things considered... I think we might have to consider some sort of temporary working relationship. Ooh, and if you are watching reruns on TV, to be continued. And we're going to take a little break right here because I have a really fun little clip to intro you into the second part of the episode. Last on my any vice. I left the scale. You must check it out, Eddie. We are going to make it. Eddie? No! For this ghost chasing for two months, this Colombian drug king, what makes you so sure he was behind this? For God's sake, Lou, Corky was on his payroll. Then he decided to go it alone. Who else could it be? 120,000. You got the party favors? Got three keys in the book. Vice. New York. Tubbs is here on priority clearance per direct request of the NYPD. About four weeks ago, one of our detectives set himself up in a meet with Calderon and a New York pusher named Tooney. The bus went sour. A man was shot to death. Surveillance photo taken before the shootout. Our man, Tooney. Dude on the right is Calderon. The Colombian. Uh, looks like you two are after the same man. And quit looking for sure yourself. There's no guarantees here. Are you kidding? They practically needed a tow truck to get Leon out of that courtroom. Eight to five, you'll be on the horn within the hour, screaming for protective custody and begging to roll. Surprise, Leon. I mean, it All right, and welcome back. 
So I know that the episode usually plays as one episode on DVD. So depending on what version you're watching, if you are getting syndicated reruns of this, please tell me where you are because I'm very curious. So touching back on to what happened in the first part of the episode, Crockett's partner, Eddie, played by Jimmy Smith's, was blown up in a car explosion. So with, along with Corky, and Corky was the middleman between them and the Colombian they've been working undercover to try to catch. Also, is there a dirty cop in the force? That's it. A mysterious gentleman by the name of Raphael Tubbs has come from New York per direct order of NYPD to try and catch the Colombian, a.k.a. Calderon. So he proposes a temporary working relationship with Crockett. And Crockett doesn't really doesn't really feel like it. Other tidbits that we're going to touch on more so within the series, Crockett's ex-wife, Caroline, Sorry, not ex-wife, estranged wife, Caroline, the co-worker he's always flirting with, Gina, Crockett's son, Billy, who's six years old, Scotty Wheeler, who does undercover for the DEA. Who else? Lou Rodriguez. He's the lieutenant. And who else? Oh, Trudy. Trudy is very... Also, I just love her because I think she is the star fashion plate of the entire series. But she's also very smart. She does a lot of the recon and the research for the job. Leon, who was also working with both Calderon and Crockett, uh, basically got called out as being a snitch in court and ended up dead and tumbling down the stairs in front of a group of horrified volleyball players. And with that, we start episode two. So Crockett and Tubbs have a warrant to examine Leon's apartment. This is kind of when they get to know each other a little bit better. So I actually kind of like this. First things first, if Leon's apartment looks familiar, I'll talk a little bit more about that in Vice D. It's actually a very historic location to the city of Miami. So as Crockett and Tubbs are kind of talking and, you know, shooting jokes and whatever, Crockett makes some kind of football reference. I'm so sorry. I swear that I had this clip. I have it in my notes to play the clip. I've listened to this clip before. I have recorded a draft podcast and used this clip. However, I cannot find anywhere, so I do apologize. So to give you a rundown, it is revealed that Crockett was actually a college football star for the University of Florida Gators. Were number 88, and he was a wide receiver. And his big claim to fame, the one that Tubbs remembers, is that he caught a 92-yard touchdown pass with six seconds remaining in the game against Alabama to win, I kid you not, I just looked this up, this is a real thing, to win the Gator Bowl. <laughs> now, <laughs> I love Gators, and I understand that Gators are a very big part of life, community, economy. You know, a lot of people rely on their income by hunting and selling gator products. I understand this is a big thing, gator tours, all that fun stuff. But it just took me out of it a bit. I'm like, no way is it actually called the Gator Bowl. Yes, it is. It takes place in Jacksonville, Florida. So after we kind of talk about the football thing, Tubbs asks what, what happened to his career. So this is where I'm going to question the story a little bit. Crockett says he sustained a knee injury. And then also went to Vietnam. I thought that would disqualify you. I don't know if he was drafted because if you were in college at the time, as we all know from Fortunate Son and just the lore of Vietnam, you could bypass the draft. So I, I'm, I'm going to do I've done a lot of research into this to see how old Sonny is and because they do touch on his Vietnam veteran past in a couple episodes. And me just doing the timeline in my head and just think about it, it doesn't really make sense. Again, I know that television 1985 was not meant to be consumed under a 2022 lens with 
nerds like me feverishly doing research and doing re- more research in the Vietnam War to try to figure out how old this guy is. But <laughs> right. Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. This is exactly what goes through my mind every time I kind of like nitpick at these continuity issues or like plot points. It's like, no, it's entertainment. Let's have fun. But yes, Sonny Crockett has lived a lot of lives for a man who might be 35 years old. So I digress. Speaking of doing the search, the search warrant at Leon's apartment, they find a black book. They give those numbers to be cross-referenced back at the precinct by Trudy. So keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. Okay, let me skip through my notes because all about <laughs> it's all about Vietnam with like question marks and exclamation marks. So while he's also asking Trudy to do that research, he also asked Gina to develop some film and do some recon on quote Raphael Tubbs. Keep that in mind as well. But they have some good news. Tubbs calls to say they have a meeting with Trini DeSoto, and I am going to play you this clip because this accent, along with Tubbs's attempt to do a Jamaican accent, just wild. I figure, dig it, Trini. You could be stuck in this place six months, man, waiting for your papers. Choose the time, man. Improve your mind. You read a lot of books, huh? You're missing my point, man. I skip all the network jive. Tune into the old classics. I love Lucy, Fathering of Bess, Leave it to Jew Beaver, Gilligan's Highland. That's where I learned to speak English so good, man. The Golden Age of TV. I forgot about Desi Arnaz, man. The fact that dude never got an Academy Award says something very deep about the American psyche. New York critics training. Don't let it throw you. Whatever. Uh, first things first, leave it to what now? Leave it to Jew Beaver. And I'm going to touch on what I'm assuming, hopefully correctly so, finally get to put my degree to you, so I'm a little proud of this. So I'm correctly assuming is that Trini DeSoto came to Miami via the Mariel Boatlift, which is actually mentioned in Scarface. That is also how Tony Montana came to the States. So a lot of the dialogue around this was that Castro was sending his criminals to the states as someone whose father grew up in a communist country let me tell you the being a criminal in a communist country can be anything from not agreeing with the government following religion practicing religion being gay quote-unquote enemy of the state it's very easy to land in jail in a communist country so take that idea of castro sending his quote-unquote criminals to united states We'll touch more on Trini DeSoto later on in the episode, but this is also important. Tubbs and Crockett leaves, and Tubbs brings up who he thinks the dirty cop might be. You know this Lieutenant Rodriguez. What are you getting at? He's the point man in this whole operation. Whoa! You're down here on a courtesy pass, New York, so take a major conversational detour right now. Hey, light up, man. Lighten up, just asking. You were just asking about a man I consider to be one of the most righteous cops in the entire country. And who I've worked with for six years. Which is six years longer than I've known you, my friend. Well, since you know him so well, maybe you want to explain an $18,000 deposit he made at First National ten days ago? You've been doing makes on my friends? I've been doing a little local research. It's called staying alive. I'll explain it to you sometime. 
Oh, an $18,000 deposit. $18,000 in 1983, mind you. Interesting. Message! Now we come to quite possibly my favorite scene. There's also another very iconic scene that I'm sure everybody else will view as their favorite scene. They go to a pure 1980s dinner club, dressed to the nine to meet Trini DeSoto. Trini DeSoto has ties to Calderon. So guess who we're going to meet this scene? Again, I'm so, 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 so excited. Please go to the gallery. Look at all the photos I put of the scene. Trudy looks amazing. Gina looks very beautiful and white. Crockett looks immaculate in this beautiful silver. My boyfriend says something like shark. To... I want to ask him about. I should know more about men's fashion, honestly, but I've never heard of this phrase. Maybe it's a Canadian American thing. Who knows? But beautiful silver suit. Everyone looks amazing. This is just an amazing scene with a live band. The live band looks amazing. The first song they're playing is Only in Miami is Cuba So Far Away, which when I was doing some Google research said that it was credited to Bette Midler. Let's get back. Let's get a little bit more into that at the end. But (laughs) I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Then so as they're talking, guess what song the house band plays to introduce Calderon, this big, bad, scary guy, kills cops with no remorse, no fear. Guess what song they play? Not so fast, Trinity man. You said Calderon would be here. Yes, Ben. Compliments from the gentleman across the room, sir. And I have noticed on my re- uh, on my rewatch that they do use a lot of the live bands covering songs, and that might be a way to kind of reduce the cost to show songs. Because I know now, again, this is also forty years ago, but I know now that let's say you're a musician, you've written, produced, sung a song. If a show wants to use your song, and it has to do with a silence, uh, oh my god, it has to do with a scene dealing with violence or sexual assault, you actually get paid more. Because then you might have a negative connotation with your song. So, very interesting. And so now this scene is getting really set up. We have Calderon with very nicely manicured hands. And I want to obviously state this as I'm coming at this from a female perspective where I very much appreciate clean hands. <laughs> oh, my guy. And I just think it's nice that this guy who's wearing a lot of jewelry, very wealthy, still takes time to make sure his nails are buffed. I don't think there's any polish on them. I think they're just buffed. Buffed means, so when you're kind of, um, when you're grooming your nails, you have different strengths on different sides of the file. So you have like an actual pure emery board to um, edit the length, edit the length, to trim down, not to trim down your nails, but to kind of shave down the length of your nails. But then when you're going across the nail bed itself, you have different methods. Buff is just to shine. Then you also have um, different ones to kind of like remove the grooves, kind of like very like a soft puma stone. So it doesn't look like there's any polish on his hands, but definitely been buff, definitely been scrub clean. So kudos to Calderon for hygiene. Now, obviously, this is a very big deal for Tubbs. He's there. Crockett's there. It's a very big deal for both of them. So Crockett checks in. He can see that Tubbs seems a little uneasy. And in a flawless Jamaican accent, Tubbs responds. 
Hey, partner. You okay? Yeah, man. Everything I So as Tubbs gets up, Gina and Crockett are talking. Trudy's also gone from the table. This is very important to note. Crockett asked Gina what the computer read came back with. Gina has some very bad news that she has no idea who this guy is, but Raphael Tubbs has been dead and buried for over three weeks. So let's follow up that revelation with Sonny and Gina on (laughs) Crockett's boat. Crockett furiously trying to make a call to get more intel on this Raphael Tubbs. As you could see in the gallery, of course I included a picture of a giant phone. No one's no one's picking up. Obviously, it's probably what, like midnight? Again, this is before cell phones. So if you're in the office, that's not happening. And you're not gonna call people at home when they have no yeah, they can't access their work computers. They don't nobody has a computer at home. So <laughs> this is so cringy, and I know I complain about this on a lot of episodes. Just as a woman who also used to go after emotionally unavailable men before I did a lot of therapy, it just makes me very cringy, as you'll see. I like you a lot. I like you too, Sonny. Oh, really? Why have you tossed four dinner invitations in three weeks back at me? And you wouldn't have come along tonight if you hadn't had Trudy along to block tackle. My father always told me, Crockett, never to get involved with a man on the rebound. And as far as I'm concerned, you're bouncing so hard, you're practically out of the ballpark. I hope you're not sick of this cheesy music because, oh, it gets better. How is that supposed to be? You're still in love with Caroline. And well, since this is network TV, we can't tell you what happened, but assume what happened. However, the next morning, Crockett wakes up alone. The shot, kudos to the cameraman director, because it's just framing Crockett all groggy waking up. And you could see a pack of unfiltered Lucky Strikes and bottles of booze. I was just like, oh my God, this is perfect. (laughs) And again, Gina's nowhere to be found. Keep that in mind. So Tubbs comes over to visit. But Crockett's after learning all this revelation yesterday that the man who's sitting there that he came to visit, sorry, standing because he lives on a boat, who's standing there is not actually Raphael Tubbs. He's not exactly too thrilled to see him. Three weeks ago in that New York shootout with Calderon. Four seconds. Who are you, man? His brother. I'm his brother, Crockett! I know we all look alike to you southern crackers, but not this much. Look at the picture, man! Look at it! Oh my god. It's true because Raphael and his brother, Ricardo, do not actually look that much alike. Very different face shapes, different eye colors. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, so obviously after they get their machismo out, they settle things. Okay, I have to stop laughing. 
Oh my god, the wheel may look like two southern crackers. I want to use that line just in like every single podcast, just on the soundboard. So get ready <laughs> for that. <sighs> All right. So Crockett says the deal is actually going to go down 300 pounds on a Panamanian shrimp boat. I don't know why I really took that detail to heart, but Panamanian shrimp boat. So a lot has already happened, and Crockett has basically just woken up. So his coworker, who spent the night, who he professed his feelings to, who said that she should know better and not get with the man in the rebound, nowhere to be seen in the morning. His temporary working arrangement partner has a different identity than who he thought he was. So now he has to go into the precinct. Things are a little bit weird. First things first, guess who wants nothing to do with Sonny Crockett? Gina. Hey, Gina, Gina, wait. What are you so mad about? Think about it. I'll get back to you. And like a true gentleman, he follows her into the bathroom to continue to press him or to press her more. That it did. Sensational, Crockett. Full moon, the boat, few drinks too many, soft music, a little sudden on board romance. What's so bad about that? Do you mind? Funny thing is, is you know, I almost believed you till this morning. Nothing like having some guy roll over at sunup and whisper his ex-wife's name in your ear to boost your self-image. Gina, I'm really sorry. This is the last situation I wanted to find myself in, Crockett. I don't need it. You understand? Every time I hear her say that, my jaw and my heart just drop. Yeah, Crockett's in the doghouse for a long time for that one. (laughs) Oh, my. And not only that, it's a dramatic day at the precinct. So Rodriguez gets a message from Immaculate Heart. Hmm. So, Crockett says that, wow, he'd love to send Billy there if only he had the money. And Rodriguez's mood instantly changes. And then when Crockett asks him, hey, where'd you get the money? Basically, he was trying to kind of skirt around. Rodriguez is like, why don't you just ask me where I got the money? Crockett asks him, where'd you get the money? Rodriguez goes, none of your business. (laughs) Okay, so keep that in mind. So yeah, a lot has happened in like, what, 30 minutes at the precinct? However, we cut back. Tubbs is chilling on the boat, bonding with Elvis, and making fun of Crockett's good southern boy roots. Waylon Jennings, George Jones, Jimmy Buffett, Dickie Betts, Waylon Jennings. Hey, Elvis, where does Crockett get his music? Susan Robot catalog? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be cool. And so while Tubbs is on Crockett's boat, he gets um, notice from Trini that he wants to change the plan and actually meet Tubbs within 40 minutes. So Tubbs calls the precinct, leaves a message for Crockett, who I believe is in pre-shift or roll call. Again, this is just what I'm assuming it's called. Please feel free to correct me if it's wrong. But basically where they kind of go over who's on what beat and who's doing, we call it pre-shift in a restaurant. I think it's called roll call in a precinct. However... Again, this was before a cell phone. So Tubbs has left a message for Crockett. Crockett is not there to pick it up. Crockett stares longingly at Gina. 
leaves a rose in Gina's cubby. And not only that, please go look at the gallery. He's in a mesh shirt. There is a very bad dated gay joke about the shirt that I did not include. Um, but you can see his nipples through it. So <laughs> mesh shirt to work day. I, I approve. I approve. But yes, definitely go check out the galleries. And even more, this is a very, this is a jam-packed scene. So those numbers came back. Remember the numbers that they were able to find during the search of Leon's apartment? They were able to access his black book and they went to a backtrace on the numbers. Well, guess whose number came up? Scotty Wheeler. Message! So this means that Tubbs is in danger because now it is known that they have a dirty cop in their midst who has been sabotaging every attempt at catching Calderon or getting close to Calderon. So unfortunately, this was before cell phones. So there's nowhere to know where he is, where he's meeting. Hopefully, Tubbs has given the location to Crockett. So we see someone, a lady, who's dressed actually quite quite well. Like, you know, very like cinched waist, like had a nice little pantsuit. Tubbs says he's waiting for a friend when he's approached and right at that moment where who's actually Trini dressed up and Crockett's spider collide so just in the nick of time Crockett comes to save the day in my notes I did rate Trini's legs 10 to 10 long fit (laughs) can't go wrong looks great in anything right Truly, truly a chameleon, this man. But now Crockett has pulled up to a house. Uh, Actually pulling up on the grass? Kind of rude. So I know in New Orleans, all the curbs are slanted because of the risk of floods. Maybe it's also the same thing in Miami because it kind of just seems like it's it's just like a little ditch. Like there's no proper sidewalk. Maybe the ditch will collect excess rainwater to prevent from flooding. So... Yeah, so it turns out he knocks on the door of Scotty Wheeler, and we see his wife and two children having dinner. One of his children is in a wheelchair, which is something also to keep in mind. And when Crockett knocks the door, kind of asks Scotty to come outside and talk, Scotty kind of declines. His wife offers to have, to feed Sonny, to invite him in for dinner. Basically, Sonny gets him out of the house by doing this. That's not enough. I've got a list of payoffs from DeSolo's place. All right. Well, obviously now Scotty's coming outside to talk. Basically, Scotty's three months behind his mortgage. He made eighty thirty eight thousand dollars a year. Again, we're going to do all the the math at the end for the DAA. Actually, no, I don't need to do it at the end. I have the number with me now. So he only he made one hundred four thousand dollars. One hundred four thousand one hundred fifty seven dollars and seventy seven cents. That's a good salary, but I also understand if you have a special needs child and you're living in the States and your partner's not working, you know, I can understand that that money goes pretty quick. So in short, a guy who doesn't, he doesn't say who, offered him $70,000 for information. Crockett and I also had the same expression was like information because Scotty just says it no, sh- no so nonchalantly like oh he just asked for information he asked for information on cops that were working undercover 
to get to call their own. This is huge. You're putting all those lives in danger. And he just says it so flippantly, like, oh, information. So now I am also pissed. And so is Crockett. And he's trying to get information out of Scotty as to where the deal is going down tonight. You gotta help me, man. I got a family. Where? Man, I got 50 years as a stand-up cop. I got two medals of valor. I took a bullet for you, for God's sakes. Sports fishing boat out of Keys Marina. Okay, a few things. So when you heard a car pull up and you heard the brakes being applied, it's a great shot of obviously Tubbs arguing with Scotty, and this is after Scotty has just revealed that he's taken a bullet for Crockett, thereby kind of persuading Crockett to help him get out of the situation that he got himself in by selling information on cops. So I'm on Crockett's side on this one. So as you see the car pull up behind him, it's Tubbs. And it's this great juxtaposition of old partner and new partner. And the new partner who he didn't initially trust. New partner who did kind of lie, but like it wasn't that big of a lie. Versus your former partner who has been selling information to drug dealers and I don't want to say gangbangers. Because these are organized to organize crime affiliates. And it's going to lead in to some super iconic stuff. Oh, we're almost there. We're almost there. So uh, Crockett also starts to strangle Scotty before he's broken up. And another great scene is that we see a cop car with lights on pull up behind Scotty. So uh, we know that at least justice was brought to Scotty. As much as I do feel bad for his family, selling information is not a small, flippant thing to make a few bucks. Like, I, you could you could do a lot of other things. But I digress. So, let's get to In the Air tonight. First, we have another very iconic scene that I'm trying to make a very funny TikTok of. Crockett needs to pull over on the way to catch Calderon. Guess what? Guess who needs to call? It was real. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And now, what you all came here for. So I'm also going to rewind a little bit. He doesn't tell Caroline what's going on. I would be a little nervous if my estranged husband called me and asked me if it was real. And then when I ask him what he's doing, knowing that he's an undercover cop for the vice squad, just kind of blows me off. I don't know. You know, this is again before cell phones. You couldn't track anybody. You couldn't. Yeah, you could. She couldn't share his location with find my friends back in the day so you know it's a little it's a little scary from caroline's perspective so now it's the big scene they're rolling up to meet with calderon and what i marked in my notes as a houseboat but i believe is actually a panamanian shrimp boat which is probably not going to be that big either so naturally a shoot it occurs calderon orders his guys to shoot his own guys. Very ruthless. Very ruthless. I wrote something that is a little explicit. I'm trying not to swear on the podcast. I'm assuming that my audience is going to be likely parents. So not that everything is completely appropriate in the show. We are dealing with a lot of illegal activity. But, you know, I can at least can at least watch my tongue, so they speak. So 
now Calderon's trying to get away. There's a great Ken Mouse scene. Lighting is 100. Beautifully shot. I can definitely see kind of like the Michael Mann heist effect, you know, influence on this. Calderon with his gold teeth. And is this a Colombian accent? Not giving one thought to Tubbs. Come on, you $400 week cop. It's getting late. They arrest me now. Not gonna shoot me, are you? It's against the law. It's against the law. <laughs> Wow. That is so demoralizing. And I really have to give credit for Tubbs for keeping his cool. Obviously, Crockett does need to come by and once again reiterate and be the angel on his shoulder. Tubbs. Not like this, man. Not like this, Tubbs. And well, let's also mark that the whole backup team has arrived. So it's not as if I will give credit for Tubbs for not doing it. He does actually pull the trigger, kind of giving us like a little bit of a red herring as the audience. But it turns out that the gun is facing up. So Calderon is not injured or harmed. That's tough. I don't know if I could uh, be as cool as Tubbs and Crockett if the man who killed my brother was taunting me. But cool heads did prevail and Calderon is being taken into custody. And the next scene, they want to take Calderon from where he is and transfer him. And Crockett kind of runs down the reasons for doing so. What do you mean you're going to transfer him? What's wrong with this jail? By hiding Calderon away in an out-of-town lockup, by the DA enough time to prepare an old bail plea at the preliminary tomorrow. Yeah, but he still do a phone call. Can't these people just hire some crooked judge to cruise on up to the suburbs and spring him? Nobody will know he's in the suburbs. Not even Calderon himself. We're transferring him in a blacked-out paddy wagon. Because I don't like this. Hey, darling, you're a genius. Look, honey, if you don't eat with those people, you eat. The gentleman you can hear on the phone is the warden. So once Crockett asks about Calderon, the warden has to give him the bad news. That judge has already sprung Calderon. He's out on $2 million bail. Crockett and Tubbs know that, of course, he's going to flee on $2 million bail. That's nothing to him. So they get moving. Speed, running red lights in the Ferrari Spider, pull up to the water to see Calderon's water plane. Calderon gives them a smirk and a wave as he flies off. He's too late. All right. They say he'll be back. And I guess maybe I'm not really spoiling anything. If you can see even the titles for the episodes of this podcast, because five are being released at once. You'll know it's not the last we've seen of him, but very rough, sad way to end this. But there's a happy ending. So Crockett and Tubbs, as we know, have a temporary working arrangement. But what's going to happen next? 
Uh, I guess you got a job to get back to up there in New York, hey, Tubbs? Get out of here, Crockett. You kidding? After the little show I put on down there hits the fan, I'll be lucky to get back on payroll as a meter maid. You ever consider a career in Southern law enforcement? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And there we go. The pilot that started all. Brothers Keeper, part one and two. All right, let's get down to it. It is time for some viced tea. So, the pilot was shot in 1983. The rumor is the Ferrari spider that we actually see later on in the series was a real spider on loan from a doctor, later replaced with a replica. They do this a lot in shows where they'll take like the outer chassis and attach it to, obviously, not a Ferrari. <laughs> so, that actually, it might be, this is just rumored, might be a real Ferrari that we see Crockett pull up in and we see them head off and run a lot of red lights on their way to Calderon. Now, I mentioned the, uh, the building where Leon lives. This is the same building that Gianni Versace was murdered in. He bought it in 1992 and, of course, was murdered by Andrew Cannanon in, I believe, 1997. This is also Jimmy Smith's acting debut. Now, what I want to do with really prominent guest stars is, like, what else do I love them in? With Jimmy Smith, I'm kind of torn. I really liked him in L.A. Law. And then I also really liked him as Gemma's boyfriend in Sons of Anarchy because he was a really nice guy. And in La- L.A. Laws, he's also a very nice guy, but he has like a little bit more edge to him. So I'm torn. Also because he was still hot, and I want to say he's like in his, he was like in his 60s in Sense of Anarchy, and then he's like 28 in L.A. Law. Also, L.A. Law just had a very handsome cast. Him and Harry Hamlin. Obviously, this is my bias coming from a straight woman, but yeah, you know. Also, it was like kind of when Sons of Anarchy was kind of going down in quality. Basically, Jimmy Smith's was the best thing about it. So I'm kind of torn. But those are my two of um, my favorite roles. Oh, he was also in NYPD Blue, which also had Zach Morris in it, Mark Paul Gosselaar. So, okay, now I'm, I'm a little bit torn. But I think I enjoyed L.A. Law better than NYPD Blue. My parents really liked NYPD Blue. And then I started watching it with them when I was in like grade eight because Zach Morris saw it. But there was like a lot of things I couldn't, you know, I was just like, oh, this is... A little advanced for me maturity-wise, but like a lot of other kids, I always looked super old. I was in Vegas at 17 with my parents and my fam- and my brother, and nobody ID'd me. I got ID'd once, and I showed a super fake ID that said I was from Winnipeg, Manitoba. No emblems, no nothing, and they let me in. So I always got away with being able to rent explicit, vi- not explicit videos, but like a... <laughs> R-rated movies. I was about to say adult movies. Like, no, no, no. Like R and NC-17. I could rent all that. I never had a problem. I just always, when I went to Blockbuster, just always said I was my mom. And they never double-checked. And again, so luckily now I don't look that old. But I guess when I was a teenager, also because I just wore a ton of makeup and like a very advanced wardrobe. Yeah, I was able to get a lot of, away with a lot of stuff and sneak into a lot of bars. So maybe it wasn't that far-fetched for that age. And let's get back to Vice T. Sorry to go off on a tangent. So do you recognize the guys that were walking in front of Tubbs 
in the Miami airport. Did you notice their outfits? They look familiar. It took me a little bit of research because I was like, why do those look so familiar? And so when I was trying to gather up some fun gossip for the podcast, Grand Theft Auto Vice City based the outfits on the Cuban and Haitian gangs on those characters. I was like, duh. So I thought that was, I don't know how someone who played Grand Theft Auto and had a Vice City fan page on Tumblr. It's still there, actually. It's called vicecityradio.tumblr.com. I actually wanted to make the podcast page a Tumblr page, but with all the photos I wanted to add and music and with how they treat copyright, and I'm sure everything would have been removed and it just wouldn't have been... Tumblr isn't what it used to be in 2012. So, unfortunately, that was the plan, is I wanted to have like a really cool, well-designed Tumblr, but... It's also just easier for me to host on a website that is actively for podcast and is a platform for podcasts. So I do apologize that it's not a Tumblr, but that was my dream. The pilot cost $5 million to make. So each episode would cost around $1 to $2 million. And a lot of that did go to music rights. And well, my last little piece of Vice Tea is actually going to segue us into music. So Rockwell. Rockwell, if you don't know, is Barry Gordon's son. Barry Gordon was, of course, basically the creator of Motown. I ran into Rockwell in an elevator at a Los Angeles courthouse. <laughs> now, ladies, if you have trouble finding a man, just dress up and go to court. I assure you, I have been picked up not only by Rockwell, but by a gentleman when I was in traffic court. And I think this might just be a cultural difference. So in Canada, it's a little bit more proper the way we approach the legal system in how you talk to judges, how you talk to lawyers, how you dress up, how you present yourself in court. I'm not saying that as a snobby thing. I think it's just a leftover bypass, like a leftover effect from the Commonwealth. Obviously, our judges don't wear the big puffy wigs. (laughs) But one of my friends who was a lawyer, she studied in Canada, passed the bar in Ontario, then came to New York, worked um, worked in New York. But when she was in Ontario, she misintroduced herself to the judge. I forget what exactly happened. She just didn't um, she didn't refer to the judge in the way that the judge wanted to be called and got reamed out. And it was just because she was just used to the more kind of laid back effect in New York. And so so just to kind of give you like a little bit of intel. So whenever I've gone to court, either for you know, traffic tickets or what have you, I'm always quite well-dressed and put on. So Rockwell, in an elevator full of people, full of people, was giving me the full core press, telling me about his dad, telling me about like how well he would take care of me, telling me how nice he is. He also did seem like a very nice man. I'm not saying this to make fun of him. Um, It did seem like he had a handler with him. So I'm not sure what was going on with him. I don't obviously think he's in a conservatorship, but it could have had something to do with his estate or not trusting people or an issue with finances or being taken advantage of. So I do feel for the guy. Very nice. I have not been hit on that much since a pizza chef at one of the old restaurants I worked at where it's just nonstop full core press. And I was trying to be very polite and... Very sweet guy. Very sweet guy. But yes, he did tell me about his father. So I knew exactly who he was while he was telling me this. So ladies, if you want to meet a man, go to court in America. (laughs) And with that, let's count down the best songs. The best songs of this episode. I am very torn. Obviously, In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins, number one, right? But All Night Long by Lionel Richie to introduce Calderon. I don't want to say it's a tie. I'm going to 
I'm going to rank. I'm going to rank them as honestly and as unbiasedly as I can. Number one, obviously, without a doubt, in the air tonight by Phil Collins. Number two, all night long by Lionel Richie. Now, putting aside the fact that Lionel Richie is one of my favorite artists, having a house band super cheesy sing that as an introduction to this notorious Colombian drug lord, chef's kiss. Number three, my boy Rockwell. Somebody's watching me. It is still a banger, and they also have like a really good club remix that was really popular when I was in college. So it's always a great song, always fun. And now it's kind of coming back on TikTok. So Rockwell, if you're listening, I hope you're getting those uh, those royalty checks. I didn't know... I think I'm going to put Miss You by the Rolling Stones, one of my favorite songs. It's kind of like the only disco Rolling Stones songs, but it's not even that disco-y. Obviously, every band in the 70s had to put out disco songs. So that's why a lot of people don't like If You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart. But I was like, hey, you know what? We all got to pay the bills. So no judgment there. Then, so after Miss You by the Rolling Stones, I think I'd put Girls Just Want to Have Fun, even though it's like the demo version. It's not as good as the regular version. Still's got some beats in there. So other songs, and I'm not trying to be snobby or dismissive or anything, but a lot of times the Latin music are never is never included on the soundtrack or never included on any Spotify playlist. But I did like the song. The song that was playing Maria's Diner was Mi Rumon by Los Fortuosos. And then we also have Salsa Caliente by Los Fortuosos um, at the Cuban restaurant. So I really do like that, you know, they are... They're not trying to pretend that Miami is something that it isn't. There's a very big Cuban influence, obviously. And Only Miami was apparently sang by, sung by Bette Midler. I, I'm going to do more research on this because I tried to do a little bit of research. And is it a cover? Did she write it? So I get it. She has an amazing voice. So maybe somebody else wrote the song and kind of gave that to her as a crossover. But all right. So there we have it. That's what I think for the music. I'm also thinking maybe I should start a Spotify playlist and kind of put them in order for every episode um, just so you can kind of see like a chronological playlist of the songs. But now we're going to have a little bit of fun. Let's get to Best Dressed. I do need to find a good sound effect to do Best Dressed for. I got the actor slash model one from Zoolander, but it doesn't really fit. But Best Dressed, I'm going to keep looking. Maybe it'll be like an old Joan Rivers when she was doing Fashion Police or the red carpet. I love... It's a tie. Crockett actually is tied with himself. The coral suit versus the silver suit. I actually really like the silver suit. It's a little bit more fancy. Obviously, the coral suit was a day suit. The silver suit, you know, he's trying to charm Gina. But I also love Trudy's lavender dress, and it has a really beautiful... I'm trying to think of the word. It's um, It kind of looks like a tennis bracelet resting on her décolletage. Décolletage. I can't pronounce that word. Yeah, so much for learning French for nine years in Canada. Décolletage. Just looks so beautiful. I love her style. A lot of the times when I'm doing best dress, she has come up. And just got to say, I'm like, there's stuff I'd still wear today. There is even one episode um, that I have a dress that a girl in the nightclub has. It looks almost identical. It's a little bit different, but kind of makes me happy. So with that, best dressed Crockett silver suit and Trudy's lavender dress. All right. And if you stuck around this long, you're here to learn a little bit more about me. So a full disclosure, this is the fourth time I've had to record this because I keep crying. (laughs) I don't know. Is it something in the water? Am I super hormonal today? I have no idea. So who am I? My name is Marina. 
grew up in Toronto, Ontario, and I fell in love with Miami Vice in around 2004, 2005, when they were running reruns of the show on Spike TV. Uh, so I was in grade 10 at that time. Grade 10 is the equivalent of sophomore year for you Americans and just not really feeling it. So I had gone to one high school in grade nine, didn't really like it. The main reason I went was because of the boy I was obsessed with in grade eight. Um, so obviously when that didn't work because, you know, being 12 and 13 and all, I wanted to switch high schools. But because I had a bad permanent record from grade eight with weed and smoking and just general troublemaking and, you know, being the chubby girl with a really bad eating disorder, wearing neon mod robes and big Genkos. But I still had friends. And, you know, some of them can be my best friends to this day. What I had a Miami Vice birthday party with one of my best friends. And yeah, so I just, I wasn't really feeling the high school I went to in grade nine, even though I ended up going back. Funny story. So I switched this other high school in grade 10 and they had a gifted program. And because I had tested gifted and gone to gifted classes in grade four and five, I dropped out because I was being sexually harassed by a boy in the bus. But I did go for about like a year and a half. And so therefore, that kind of gave me the golden ticket to go to another high school. Because if you don't live in district, I know this is true for the TDSB in Toronto, but they don't have to take you. And because with my, my I was going to say rap sheets, ha 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 ha, with my permanent record, I didn't think that any, no high school was really looking to, looking to get me. So I don't even remember my marks in grade eight. Like I don't remember doing homework. So I, the only thing I remember, and I'm going to touch on this a lot during the podcast, is my final year project for grade eight was based on the show 24, was about the show 24. <laughs> So yeah, I just didn't really didn't really enjoy high school. And so I was at this gifted I was in the gifted program at this big high school. I'd take two buses in the winter or my dad would drive me to kind of like motivate me to go to school. So I just skipped a lot and there's a very easy way to bypass the automated voicemails that you'd get. So obviously I knew how to get into my parents' voicemail and I could just guess their password very easily. So I would just delete those messages whenever they'd come up. Because uh, they tell you what period exactly your child skips. If you miss one class, they'll just say one. If they missed all four, all six, they'll tell you. So it was during this time, I was discovering a lot of TV. And as I was channel surfing, I was trying to find old Mad TV reruns that were showing on this channel called TNN. TNN used to stand for the Nashville Network. Then it changed to the new network when I was in middle school. So I remember watching a lot of Mad TV reruns there. And then obviously on Fox when it was still airing the new episodes. So TNN became Spike TV. So 10 a.m. I'm channel surfing, trying to find these old Mad TV reruns. And I stumble upon the Milk Run episode of Miami Vice. And my entire world changed. I remember how entranced I was by this show and especially that first episode because not only is it Evan Handler who we'll know better as Harry Goldenblatt it was just the style and the visuals and this was the same time that Grand Theft Auto Vice City came out and Scarface was also playing basically it felt like all Spike TV was 100 Ways to Die The Man Show, Miami Vice and Scarface (laughs) so I was just being inundated with this these bygone days of pastel of no cell phones no internet of just this glamorous seedy but glamorous world where everyone just dressed so beautifully and obsessed with the 80s and that's really how i also got obsessed with 80s music too i just it was this whole new world i didn't know existed and it really changed my life and that same year i think for my 16th birthday 
my dad, thank you, I think my brother was behind that one, got me Grand Theft Auto Vice City. <laughs> and then my dad, for my 18th birthday, also got me Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. <laughs> so thank you, dad. I think in like immigrant dad fashion, he didn't bother to research what these games were about or what were they. He's just like, nah, you know, my, my, my daughter wants them. <laughs> but yeah, and so my whole life has changed. So as I mentioned, I've had Miami Vice themed birthday parties. I've had Miami Vice themed guest bartending shifts. It's still very much something that always makes me happy without fail. And during COVID, I was able to binge, I think I did the first three seasons. And then, you know, I've sporadically kind of caught up with season four and five. And I did a big rewatch in college once the DVDs came out. You'll hear a little bit more about the DVD release in the next episode. That's a little uh, a little fun fact I have waiting for you. And it's just a show that continues to make me happy without fail and just reminds me of like such a pure, fun time in my life where pop culture really did really did make my world and i know oh see i want to cry again i told you i'm very thankful for the friends i have now in my life but you know when you're a young kid and you're trying to make friends and you're trying to fit in and you know this i found something that really helped me and that really gave me a lot of pleasure and joy and i know that maybe it wasn't suitable for children (laughs) but i was a very i was a very mature 14 year old um but I'm very happy that I found this show and it continues to make a huge impact in my life. And the music and the fashion is something that I still hold very dear to me. And you'll see in previous in next episodes that, you know, I might own a dress that someone that looks just like someone else's in the crowd. And that makes me very happy. This show has changed my life and changed my life for the better. So thank you for coming along on this ride. And I hope it brings you some joy and happiness as well. Oh, I didn't cry as much as last time. All right. Feel free. Please follow me on all things social at Vice and Easy Podcast. And please check out the website with all my beautiful, fun pictures at viceandeasypodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward for you coming along in this journey with me every Friday, just like the old days. And don't forget. Hey, man. Miami Wise is number one new show.
Hey man, Miami Vice is number one new show.